All right, here we are for episode three of Biking Brokers with Miles Romney and Chris Merrill. Miles, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Recording on a Friday morning is the way to do it. Sweatshirt, shorts. <laughs> the beauty of Zoom. So um, we have got today Gabriella Benitez, who is actually one of our coworkers at Diversified, and we're really excited. Um, Gabby, we're reading through her bio, Miles and I, and both of us are like, we're apparently playing too much Call of Duty. So <laughs> we need to pick up the pace to catch up with you. Yeah, <laughs> Gabby's. So let me just read the bio and then we'll have Gabby introduce herself here. But she mentions that uh, a few standouts, business person of the, v the year with the Utah Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Latino Magazine as the healthcare guru, the National Blue Cross Blue Shield Emerging Market Award and the Utah Governor's Office of Economic Development on Healthcare Reform Exchanges. Um, and then she's on a couple of boards with schools. And I mean, Gabby, when do you sleep? <laughs> um, actually, I do sleep around like 10.30 p.m. So God. I still have time to sleep. <laughs> Got it. I just, yeah, Thanks, I felt guys, a little for like, having me over. <laughs> No, we're, we're glad to have you. Thanks so much. So, um, so yeah, today our goal is really to talk about uh, Hispanic inclusion in the workplace and how uh, the Hispanic culture relates to benefits. And Gabby's the perfect person to do that. She knows, uh, well, she's native Hispanic, that helps. And um, so she's going to help us understand as we talk through this. But with that, Miles, what do we want to ask her to start with? Well, I'm uh, not sure. I mean, that guru was throwing me for a loop. You know, I don't, I don't know how to start that off. But um, I think mostly for you, uh, Gabrielle, is just kind of talk a little bit about your background. But um, first, though, we want to start off and ask you, what is your most memorable biking experience? So mountain biking, road biking, biking with kids or with, you know, a family member back in the day. But just we'd love to hear kind of, you know, something that stands out to you. Yeah, well, one thing about biking, I don't bike a lot, but um, when I started biking, I was, uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I was very young, and I remember just keep trying to um, do all kinds of tricks, and I just kept falling and falling all the time, so um, until one day I didn't, right, um, mm -hmm. so the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like that's kind of what I've done in life I you know things happen and I have roadblocks and whatnot and we just keep falling and then we just kind of have to get up and keep going so that's the only you know the the message I want to get across <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't go through life no handers uh no I can't <laughs> you will fall but get back up I love it Gabby actually that's so. right um, well, let's kind of jump in. And so, uh, so Gabby, tell us a little about Hispanic, the Hispanic population in Utah. What's kind of the background? I mean, me, I say Hispanic and I think, you know, South America, what, what does the Hispanic population look like? Yeah, great question. Well, um, here in Utah, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, they count for 14% of the Utah population. And the majority of us come from Mexican background, about 80% of us. Um, then you have Peruvians that have about 16% of the population. And then um, we're getting a lot of Colombians and Venezuelans also that are getting pretty close to, um, to 8%. 
as well. So uh, we have a lot of Hispanics here in Utah. We just keep growing. Got it. Got it. Got it. So as you look at the Hispanic population, um, what, you know, let's talk generationally. Is there a difference if I'm first generation, you know, American Hispanic or fourth generation American, American Hispanic? Right. There is definitely a lot of um, differences. So I think for sakes of this conversation, I think what companies want to hear is, hey, what are we, how can we build a better connection with like our first and second generation Hispanics? Those are the ones that usually you are trying to um, comprehend and really trying to build a, a better communication with. So first and second generation Hispanics, these generations by nature, are more prone to um, work in construction, manufacturing, agriculture, and hospitality, among other trades. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, as you talk about those those industries and such, um, how do explain to me like the cultural benefits in or differences in how a Hispanic population may view their benefits versus a non-Hispanic population? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Well, it's just, um, it's confusing, right? Uh, and I think it's confusing to, um, to everyone, not just Hispanics in general. But um, you have to, maybe I'm going to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the, um, the background in healthcare for Latinos in our countries. So, in most uh, Latin countries, healthcare operates a universal public healthcare system. So, in um, healthcare is not as confusing in in our countries because it's usually run by the government. So, um, you know, and then you come to America and it's just a, a different system. Um, and again, I'm going to focus just on like the first generation Hispanics. Um, at least, um, you know, the first and second generation Hispanics, their education level is low. So it's fewer than 10 years of school. So when they come in and you're talking all these words that they don't understand, they get lost in the system and then they just don't want to participate because they don't want to feel stupid and they don't want to pay for something that they don't understand because they don't know how to use it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, it's totally a huge thing, right? I mean, if you're not understanding how, how it works, how can you ever use it? Does that make right. a difference as, as companies transition from, you know, we hand out paper materials and a guidebook to going more digital? Do you feel like they get kind of lost in that as well? Or are they able to keep up? Um, you know, I, I mean, I feel like in general, things get lost. In when you're going from in-person to digital. We've had Zoom meetings where you're asking questions. Do you guys have any questions? And then people are like, quiet, crickets, right? <laughs> crickets. So I think in both, <laughs> in both uh, you know, uh, Hispanics and non-Hispanics, we tend to um, have that. But um, Hispanics, we are, you know, just the technology piece, we're still trying to get up there with technology. So we actually have to do a lot of education. And this is like customized education, um, highly recommended from a native Spanish speaker that can amplify the message and really uh, get the uh, communication across. So when you say customized education, what give some examples. Yes. 
Yeah. So when you're actually explaining benefits, let's say I'm going to talk about, you know, the benefits of having healthcare. Um, you, we almost have to, uh, instead of just going from line to line, like, oh, your deductible is this, your maximum out of pocket is $7,000. All of that is going over their head. You almost have to create a story, kind of like a novella. I don't know if you guys, you guys know what a novella is? Oh, if I spoke better Spanish, that would be my favorite kind of TV. <laughs> <laughs> All right, novela, soap operas. So soap operas are really, really um, story storytelling. They're really uh, magnified. So that's kind of what we need. So when we talk benefits, it's like, hey, yes, you have a deductible, but and then you have to give them a story. If you were to go to the, you know, you, if you were to go to the hospital and this was to happen, and you know, you kind of have to magnify the story to make it sound pretty drastic so that people can connect to it, because that's kind of the messaging that we're used to in our countries, where it's just a very um, pronounced messages about um, about marketing like healthcare or any other uh, business. So people just want to, um, they really need to connect to the message. So when you have a native Spanish speaker, they can do that because people can actually connect with them better for the storytelling and the novella and the, you know, all that stuff I just talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Miles ago. I was going to say, I mean, with that and kind of exaggerating some of those things and painting that story, do you see that the, the value of healthcare is increased? I mean, that's kind of not necessarily just for what we're talking about today, but everybody, right. And, And if they don't understand how things work, that perceived value is so low, but do you see when you take that time that that perceived value can increase or the, the understanding of that? Yes. It actually does because you're giving them examples. So a lot of times content is content. They're thinking, oh yeah, deductible, all this. Okay, great. But if you tell them a story is, hey, did you, you know, when you went to the emergency room last time, or do you know someone that went to the emergency room? What was that bill? Oh, three, $4,000. Okay. Yeah. And they had no insurance and they had to pay all of that out of pocket, right? Where, where if you're offered like a group insurance plan, um, you're not going to be paying that much money for insurance. So it's in their best interest to have insurance um, and uh, and not be paying for services out of pocket. So you're kind of saying, hey, you're in a much better place if you have insurance. And then you're also painting that picture of if anything drastic was to happen to you and your loved ones. And Latinos, we tend to be like, well, I don't need insurance for myself. I just want to make sure my spouse and my kids are taken care of. But we don't realize that if we're not being taken care of, we can't take care of those that we love. So you almost have to bring in them into the picture, right? You have to say, hey, what, you know, your, um, your kids, they, if you were to take your child to, um, to the hospital, the emergency room, I mean, th- this is how much it would cost you. Not to mention that the way I see insurance is you have, we have a proof of an insurance card that tells the provider that, hey, there is going to be someone responsible to pay for this. So they're going to be running other tests you which means they're going to take care of you instead of just giving if you have no insurance they may just give you a Tylenol and say hey yeah go back home and for all you know I mean you could have consequences because you weren't taken care of and that's because you didn't have insurance so I like to explain things like that because then it resonates with them like hey this is it's very serious and if you are not if you're not covered, really, I mean, this is kind of how it could look like for you. Not only are you stuck with the bill, but then maybe your loved one will not be receiving the care that they deserve. 
I, I think you have a whole bunch of ER docs that are just going, whoa, hold on, Gabby. So, <laughs> but, so let's circle back around to the concepts of insurance. So you mentioned deductibles and some things like that and how they're coming from a, a single payer system to, you know, where, where we're definitely not a single payer system. How do you, um, what's a, a good way to explain a deductible or explain a coinsurance? I mean, we're pretty clinical about how we to describe it, I think, at times. So how would we make that, that concept or that term resonate better? Does that make sense? Yeah. And the way I like to do it is it's a storytelling. Again, I have to include stories because if I say deductible, a lot of times, I mean, they understand what a deductible is for the most part. They know the word just because they're used to it with um, their car insurance. But, um, but when you say in a story such as, hey, if you have a procedure that is going to cost $10,000 and then you put it into perspective, okay, $10,000 procedure, your deductible is $2,000. So the, the remainder is $8,000. And out of that $8,000, you will pay X percentage. And then the maximum out of pocket is this amount. So I have to kind of play in every term into my story so they can see how it plays along. That's the way I like to do it. And then I ask if people have any questions. And if they don't, sometimes I just, um, I kind of say a story and then I say, so what would be my maximum out of pocket based on this scenario? And then if people are, um, they're, if they're interacting, that just tells me that they are really engaging in the conversation. Now, one thing I like to tell people all the time uh, when we start a benefit meeting, I like to say, hey, can, we, can I get your attention for the next uh, hour just on employee benefits so we can look at all these options and then you get to make the best decision for you and your family just for the next hour. And then you can forget all about it because you know what, if they forget all of because they're not going to retain all this information. So if I just say, hey, just one hour and then you can forget about it because when you need to access healthcare, Hopefully you have a good broker that can respond to your questions and then you don't have to be on your own because a lot of times you're not going to remember all these details unless if you need to access that information. Uh, that's, that's key and, and grabbing their attention for that short time and just being able to work through that and, and helping them understand that. So it sounds like you have kind of a different approach than when you do like an open enrollment meeting. I mean, most of us are used to the traditional show up for an hour sit down, here's your guidebook. All right, you know, make your elections and you got to do it by this day. So what are some of the things you do differently during that open enrollment process or that meeting? Um, yeah, well, what I like to do again is just a lot of education, a lot of um, storytelling. And then um, one of the things I like to do, especially with life insurance, life insurance, when you're selling life insurance to Hispanics, do not use the term of, oh, your wife will inherit all this money <laughs> because immediately, or your, or your husband, they don't like that. That's not going <laughs> to go long ways because what we're thinking is, oh, I'm going to be dead and my, my spouse is going to have all this money and then someone else is going to take my place. Well, no, right? <laughs> so that's exactly. And you will, and they're not going to tell, you know, we're not going to tell you that, but that's in every meeting, and, you know, that I've been in when I experienced uh, uh, someone that is not a native Spanish speaker talking about life insurance and saying, oh, yeah, your wife is maybe all taken care of. 
you can just hear the people are, you know, starting to mumble and saying, yeah, right, I'm not buying that, right? So they, we don't, you know, we don't see the value uh, of life insurance in that way. What we like to, the way I like to present life insurance, it's more of, hey, your kids, and if they have a mother, I mean, mothers are significant um, uh, part of everyone's life. And um, we, especially males, they seem, they seem to be very close to their mothers. So then you can say, and your mother could get, you know, she, don't, she doesn't have to come up with all this money to, uh, for the funeral and all this. It's a peace of mind. I mean, yes, you bring in the spouse a little bit, but not too much. So that's one thing I always um Keep in mind when I'm talking about um, life insurance. So do it for your mom is what you're saying. Your mom <laughs> wants you to your have Your mom this. and your kids. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> mom, kids, do not say that the spouse is going to have all this money because that's not going to go a long way. Got it. So should I look at my wife cross-eyed when she keeps asking me to get life insurance? Is that what you're telling me? So. <laughs> I don't know. It all makes sense now, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's coming together. It's all gelling for <laughs> Thank you, Gabby. Sure. So what are some of the, I mean, as we talk about culture, what are some, as you see, I mean, you've mentioned the storytelling and painting a, a broader picture as to the value of benefits, but what are some critical cultural differences that you see with a Hispanic versus a non-Hispanic workforce? Yeah, so Hispanics, we say family, and family is a big family. It's not just our immediate family. No, and family plays a central role. So, um, and then also like the personal space, uh, it's closer. We don't have, like maybe you, you will see like when you have Hispanics uh, talking among themselves, they get closer. They may hug and, and kiss and say good morning and all that. So the physical contact is very important. So if you have employees, let's say you're, um, you're an HR or you're the CEO and you're going out to the warehouse or talking to the employees, they love it if you shake their hand and make them feel important, um, you know, so you can get closer to them, which is um, a little bit different, I feel like, um, than your uh, other ethnicities. But, um, but yeah, and then also um, Hispanics, uh, the appearance is very important. So if you have employees um, that are working, you know, they'll just, a lot of times they'll get really dressed up to go to work. And even to go to like the grocery store, we get really dressed up, we, we like, we like to um, always look nice <laughs> for the most part. And we're, um, we're very spiritual too. So <laughs> a lot of different, a lot so, of differences for sure. No. So there, there's some good differences there. I mean, what do you think would be one big takeaway if, you know, I'm an employer and I'm looking at this and saying, you know what, I want to bridge this gap. I want it to, to do the best that I can. I mean, what's one thing that you think they could, you know, start doing or start doing differently that would, you know, make an instant difference that you've seen? Mm-hmm. Um, God, there's so many, but I think um, if you can educate your employees or if you're having meetings, like include them, do not isolate them and then bring like a translator if they don't, because a lot of times what happens with Hispanics, you, you might say, do you understand? And we nod our head. What we're saying is, yes, I, I, I'm here, but it does not mean we understand everything you're saying. So if you can provide like a translator or someone so they feel like, oh, you know, my company wants me to know what's going on at, you know, what the vision or the mission of, this, of the company is. I want to be part of that. And they're bringing a translator. It makes me feel very important. So I think educating employees 
in their own native language. So question on that translator, because I've done meetings where we've done it where the Hispanic population goes and does their own meeting and we'll have a, a Spanish speaker. And then, you know, I'll do the English meetings. And I've also done it where we've done one big meeting for everybody. And it's a little slower because you do have that translator um, involved. Do you think one is better than the other? Um, you know, when, when I said isolate them, what I mean is do not like you're, you're, you want to include them, whether that is in a group setting or you might want to cater to them in particular. Now, as far as employee benefits, I think it's a great strategy to have them separate only because um, then they are more likely to ask questions and engage and you want that connection. And that will happen more in the small setting if it's only in Spanish versus having a translator being there. But if you're having like a company meeting, let's say you're having a company meeting for all your employees, not employee benefit related, just in general, talking about where the company's at and what's going on, then that's when, when I'm, uh, that's where I recommend to have a, a translator there that can maybe facilitate that communication. Got it. Well, thanks for that. That that's helpful. Um, so, you know, let's kind of I think come around to the workplace in a general sense. And we've talked about you know including them. What are some other things you think we can do as employers to help create a more inclusive environment for that you know Hispanic population that is becoming larger and larger? Right. Yeah, and right now a lot of companies are still focusing on um, on diversity and inclusion and what can we do. I actually had um, some HR, an HR group that um, set up their own um, like a, a Spanish class for them to help each other out because they wanted to connect better with their employees. So, um, but a few things that we can do um, to include our workforce is understanding the culture and that's kind of what this podcast is about. So just understanding a little bit about, about um, your Hispanic workforce. Um, also like celebrations. Um, I, I always say this, but like Cinco de Mayo is a celebration, but it's not necessarily a celebration for Hispanics. So that's one thing I always mention that, Hey, maybe we can, uh, you can do a celebration for independence day. Uh, most of the, um, the Hispanic Independence Day are in September. So maybe do something for the month of September and that will cover Mexico, Venezuela, and you know, Colombia. So anyway, you can do something like that. Um, also like birthday acknowledgements. Again, we're very personal. We love the people, you know, that you acknowledge that we had a birthday or whatever that might look like. Um, and then um, also just make a, I, I feel like it's just making a conscious effort to, to recognize them on a personal level and let them know you appreciate them. Um, those things, you don't even need money for that. I mean, it just goes long ways. They, the shaking the hands, um, trying to even speak Spanish and throw some Spanish at them. And they love it when you're trying to connect with them in that way. And then, um, and you will probably, if you're like in a construction or warehouse, your employees are probably listening to a lot of Hispanic Spanish music. So just so you know, that's kind of typical. It's just a, you know, a connection that we have that kind of takes us to our heritage and roots. And a lot of, a lot of these radios that we um, 
listened to, they're actually from our native towns in Mexico or in other places of South or Central America. So it's just kind of a nice, a nice um, reward that we give ourselves when we're listening to to radio. Kind of brings it brings it all together for him. And so I just had kind of one follow up thing. And I just thought of this as you were kind of talking about and earlier, you know, the demographic. And I think sometimes we kind of lump all of it into the Hispanic or Latino culture. But does it make a big difference if, you know, the, the demographic is more from, say, El Salvador versus, you know, Peruvian or something like that? Or, you know, is there any consideration there or just doing a little bit of homework and kind of figuring out or is it, you know, what do you think? And that is the reason why it's so important to have a native Spanish speaker, because a native Spanish speaker can identify certain words. Uh, and not everybody can, but like, uh, like myself, I'm able to use general terminology, meaning that I am not going to use offensive words that might be, um, might be okay in the Mexican Spanish, but not in Colombian Spanish, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So yeah. then I can use very, comp very uh, neutral words that I, I just know that I am not going to be using the, um, the words that are, that could be offensive. Um, Cause there are some words that it, like, if you have someone from Puerto Rico, they will use certain words and I'm like, Oh, Mexicans, we do not, you know, it's a, it's part a different, of me wants you to just um, lay those words out for us. But the other part of me says, <laughs> maybe not here. So <laughs> maybe not, maybe it's not the right platform, but I think the takeaway from this is if you um, really want to engage with your employees at any level, whether that's employee benefits, um, culture or just trying to get them to be more productive and, and be more loyal and be part of a team is it, just uh, making sure that they, they feel like they're, they're included in all these conversations and you're educating them, um, preferably by a Spanish speaker. Yeah, no, that's, that's some good insight there. Appreciate it. Um, I mean, is there anything that you'd like to share? I mean, outside of what we shared, anything like that, but, you know, we're super grateful for you jumping on. This has been really, you know, insightful and, and brought up some really good points, but, you know, anything to bring us home? Um, let's see. I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't know. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Uh, again, just, um, yeah, education is huge. Just uh, keep, you know, keep that, uh, keep that up. And um, it, there are just a lot of, um, a lot of different resources in the community also that can help employers. And I feel like if you're one of those employers that is looking for ways to improve um, your connection with your Hispanics, um, or you're trying to um, just uh, maybe uh, improve the the culture and diversity with uh trainings and all that kind of uh conversations that you guys are having just uh you know find out what your resources are there are some translators out there that can help you out also if you have um like a diversified we have a uh, we have a lot of us that speak spanish that are native speakers so it's kind of nice that we can be able to um to assist um but definitely brings a lot of different challenges when you have high Hispanic workforce, but it also can be a real treasure if you know how to take care of it. No, totally agree. Well, we appreciate you. Like I said, once again, for, for sharing a little bit of your time with us today. Um, so thank you very much. Yep. Thanks Gabby. You're welcome guys. Thanks for the invite.